0: Rabbi Hirsch, last week we said that we're going to discuss the history of Yushmal versus Yisroel, but not yet, as the trans-denerrant Yisroel is ongoing, and we felt that now might not be the best time for a historical analysis. However, we've received countless requests due to the masses of misinformation that is flooding people on social media, on the internet, in the news. People want to know the truth and how to respond if need be. So we therefore decided to do a two-part series regarding the unfolding tragic events, but not just the background and the history of Israel, but perhaps more importantly, how a Jew should be thinking now, and how we react in these immensely difficult times. After all, although we're a podcast that generally deals with our history, that has shaped us into who we are today, to quote the intro, the events happening right now are of such significance that, you know, we felt the need to put them into the context of our and hopefully, I'll very soon.
1: Yes, I think that's a very accurate portrayal of hopefully what the next two podcasts will be. And this podcast is Leilu Nishmas Habacha Moshiyetz Hakzav Ben Ybanel Chaim Rab David whose yartzeit is on Friday the fifth of Cheshvan. So we wanted to share insights in a structured way to understand how Chazal view the concept of Yishmael and to understand what our appropriate and required response is. And hopefully this will provide Hadracha direction in which to take this. I gave shi last week on this topic and would like to expand on what was said then, but start in a similar way. And that is by saying that if I were to use one word to describe Where we are, and for sure where we were on Monday and Tuesday last week, that one word would be overwhelmed from six or seven different angles. Some negative, but surprisingly, even some positive. And overwhelmed is a feeling we're not much used to. We are used to being able to control our lives, even if not in the moment, but at least, you know, if we have time to react. And here, that is not the case. Individually, we have had moments in our lives where we've experienced emotions such as uh, loss, and we've been numb. But the thing is that here, it's not about me. It feels unreal, and that is, that is uh, confusing. Clearly, we are overwhelmed by the depth of the tragedy, by the extent, by the brutality. It's been so savage, so, so destructive, and by the process of the biased broadcasting uh, corporation that cannot bring itself to call these people terrorists. They've, They've shown themselves to be the haters that they are because the events are beyond what we normally have been exposed to. And hand in hand with that are the numbers. And I don't mean it only in the way that most people do. I don't mean it only by how many. I mean by how it came to me personally. When there has been a pigua in the past, a bombing on a bus, for instance. So I get the information in one go. I know what has happened. I know how many victims there have been. You know, maybe, unfortunately, in 24 hours, it's uh, updated to say that one of the people who's in a critical uh, situation has passed away. But it is given in one go. This time, and particularly for us in Chutzlah it was a drip feed of news and each time it was too big to process. On Sheminiyat Teres morning, it was that 40 people had been killed and uh, maybe 200 injured, which was shocking. But um, in a way that there was a reference point for it in the past. By Simchas terror, it was 400, 400 people. That, that's 10, 20 times anything I've ever heard about in my life. And then, for me, the first phone call I had on Motsy was from Eretz Israel. I was meant to run a trip last week in Europe. And it came from the woman who was running the trip. And she said, you know, a few of us are Israeli. We're not coming. And do you know that 700 people have been killed? And this was the first time this information had come my way. And, and it was now... It, it, it was simply, it, it, was, it was beyond belief, beyond computation. And then it became 1,000 and 1,200, and we still don't know the number. And that is overwhelming, the lack of control in our minds over how to, to process the situation. I, I don't know if the listeners are aware, but if you compare this to the Six-Day War, in the Six-Day War, there were less than 800 people who were killed in Israel. And at the time, they were fighting against three different countries on on three different fronts, 800 people. And it was six days, and it was open warfare.
0: I guess because of the sheer numbers, that's why people have been talking about our 9-11.
1: Yes, and I understand why people have been doing so, but the analogy, as I see it, is incorrect. 9-11 was not a targeted murder. They had no idea who would be in the Twin Towers. They didn't know how old they would be, what faith they would be. They didn't actually care who they killed. This was different. They had plans. They had maps drawn up. They knew about the rave, for instance. This was a planned event. And therefore, the analogy is it was a pogrom, except that pogroms can't possibly exist in the 21st century. You know, they came to an end, basically, the end of the 1800s. They can't exist anymore, but they do. And that's overwhelming. Then there's a completely different part of this sensation. It's overwhelming in a positive way how the entire country united, a country that has been riven by division for months and months and so many different levels. In fact, how the whole Jewish world, religious, irreligious, it took 12 hours for the whole of Eretz Israel and for the whole of the world as soon as we knew what was going on to come together. Every single community in the Jewish world held some form of prayer, vigil, candles, and that is a taste of what it means that when Moshiach arrives, we will be a singular people. If you want some understanding of all those midrashim about Moshiach, and part of that uniting is how real people were, for instance, in expressing that pain. You know, we're quite used to the fact that the United Nations, when these things unfortunately happen, so obviously a representative of the Israeli delegation speaks, and speaks in anger. And sometimes, you know, there are motions that accompany it, tearing up UN resolutions as being meaningless, which, you know, dates back to, to Chaim Weizmann in 1975, when the UN voted to equate Zionism with racism. But this time, there are clips from the United Nations. there's a particular, there's a woman who's speaking there, and there is a raw pain in her voice when she is talking about what's going on. This isn't simply, you know, an exercise of telling the world that we will not be lectured on morality. This is so raw, so open that it carries over to the international scene. And, of course, equally overwhelming is that the governments of the world, for the first time in decades, for so the first time in, in, I believe, in my lifetime, are supporting Israel in what they're doing in response. Institutions around the world are, you know, lit up in, in, in blue and white.
0: And we're particularly grateful in the UK where we've had an outpouring of support from Rishi Sunak, our prime minister, and the entire British government. Yep. I found it particularly ironic the photos going around of Titsa's Arch in Rome You're and right. the Brandenburg Gate in Berlin, two symbols of Jew hatred. Right. Lit up in blue and white.
1: But it's broader than that. You've got left wing Democrats in America who are coming out against Hamas. Even one of the quartet AOC condemned the pro-Palestinian march in Times Square. It was unheralded and unprecedented. France banned pro-Palestinian demonstrations. France Right. Israel cut off all water and electricity to the Gaza Strip and the UN Security Council has not yet met to condemn them. It's been going on for a week and they haven't attacked us. that is unprecedented and therefore overwhelming. And it's pointing to something that is completely beyond our experiences. Then there's, of course, the fact that we're overwhelmed by not understanding how it could ever have taken place with the Israeli army being what the Israeli army is. And yes, you know, people are going to come up with all the answers afterwards. But had I told anyone 10 days ago that there are going to be a terrorists on Israeli soil, and they're going to occupy Moshavim, entire Moshavim, and the Israeli army won't respond for six hours, you would have laughed. You would have told me it isn't possible. It can't be. It's what happened. And therefore it's, you know, it's incomparable to the Yom Kippur war where also, We were caught unawares, but there the warning was much more obvious, and therefore we're left here with that question mark. And, you know, the idea that terrorists occupied land in Eretz Israel for three days, that's a war. It's not a pigur, and that we still, at this moment, do not know how many died. It's overwhelming.
0: Especially after all the tefillis and the extra tilling we've been saying in the shuls, we say, <laughs> yes. And yep. who would have dreamt those words would have been relevant in today's day and age on Absolutely. such a mass scale?
1: Yes, correct. And that brings us to the hostages. How How... Do we manage to get to sleep at night with the fact that there are up to 150? And, and who knows the exact number? Who knows how many people out there have been taken into captivity? Captivity, it's a word you use when you say Al-Naris Bovel, you know, and, and as you say, you know, who would ever have thought that we would say these words literally? There are Jewish captives. And we've seen footage of a five-year-old. It's beyond belief. It's, it's a gollus of a depth that is that that's the pogroms. That's the worst of the Holocaust. And we cannot compute the information in this day and age of instant information and of media and technology. In fact, even within this, there, there is an element of what was Hamas thinking. You know, if they'd have been slightly more intelligent about it. They would have only captured adults because now with what they've done, the world had to condemn them. In in Israel's past, there have been hostages in the sense that, you know, infamously, the school in Malot in the 70s, but to actually bring Jews back over the border to their country and essentially say that it's a never-ending game. It's from the Middle Ages. But understanding who Yishmael is, is key to understanding this. And perhaps finally, there is the question of how are we supposed to recover How is a teenager who witnessed atrocities firsthand ever going to recover? How do you get beyond that? There are tens of thousands of families that are now in this Cheshpen. So the whole world has been turned on its head. And and that's why our reactions have been as they have been. You know, I saw someone yesterday that I last saw in Chalamoyed. And it's as if we haven't seen each other in months because so much has happened in that intervening week. In fact, you know, every point of reference that we normally employ with regards to the conflict in Israel has been changed. And this is a taste of Moshiach. It's a taste of what it means when everything changes with the arrival of Moshiach, which, as we find in the Gomorrah and Sanhedrin, from Ullah and from Rabbah and from ye say, let it come, but let me not witness it. Because while it is absolutely clear, based on all of these things, that it is Yad Hashem, that it comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, because nothing else could overturn our world so effectively and so quickly, but it's Yad Hashem in a way that we don't want to view, at least not most of it. But it's clear that everything has changed. At the same time, I will tell you one thing clearly. It's not going to last. This feeling of being overwhelmed in all of these areas, it's going to go. And unfortunately, the unity is going to dissipate from where it stands today. The silence of the United Nations, the fact that the numbers are so unimaginable and so large in our head. Because, you know, there was a Holocaust in the middle of the 20th century, but eventually the numbers became much more of a statistic. And we will move on from this point. But before we do, we have to try and be kinder and and, and acquire... This feeling of being overwhelmed, this feeling of understanding that in a day the whole world can change, and we are being plunged back into the days of din of judgment. With a Baruch back in the picture, on a in a binadam level, on an interpersonal level, and that intensity is something we need to keep feeling. We need to bank it somewhere. And this idea that it will go, I mean, to give you an example from my own life, when I was in Eretz Israel during the Gulf War, the first night when the sirens went off, we had no way of knowing what's going to happen. What, where, everyone had their radios on, had their radios on over Shabbos. It was a very surreal experience, but eventually it went. I have to read a book now to remember what it was like back then. While it's there, we have to hold on to it by taking something spiritual, something ruchni out of it. And there are three areas which I would like to speak of. But for a moment, let's understand where Yishmael comes from. When Bilom spoke Binavur prophetically in Parsha's bolok, he says, Oi mi yichye mi sumoy keil. How will we survive Sumay Kael, the one whose name is Kale, And the Pirkei de Rebeleze explains that of all the 70 nations of the world, only one has a name like ours that ends with Hashem's name, Yishmael Yisrael, which we describe Yisrael in Yont of Davening as Vashemcha Hagodel Vahakodesh Oleinu Karosa. But in this case of Yishmael, Yishma Kale. That means that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will listen to him to his tvilos. And we need to understand that we are, are used to describing a sort of a standoff, a face off between Yaakov and Esau. It equally exists between Yitzchok and Yishmael. But we don't normally think about it that way, about that paradigm. We don't normally talk about these areas, the, the Yitzhog versus Yishmael, because it's not one of the four exiles. The the four Goliaths of Bovel, of Persia, Greece, and Rome, they created empires. They ruled over us. Yishmael doesn't fit into this. As uh, Ramesha Shapiroz explains, the idea that Yishmael is not one of the four exiles is because they're not a malchus. And therefore, when we find the descendants of Yishmael described in the Torah, they are there as nasiim, as princes, and not molochim which the descendants of Esau are at the end of Parshish Vayishlach. Because Yishmael doesn't rule over an empire, which is why he is described as Yodoi bakoel, V'Yad boy, which means his hand is set against everybody and everybody is set against him. They need him and he needs them. It's an interdependent relationship which actually neither side wants. And it's interesting that Yishmael's appearance is often situated at a be'er, at a well. And even to this day, there are really only two things described as a well, and that is water and oil. And that highlights the interdependence of Yishmael on the West and the West upon them. Yishmael doesn't have a physical empire. They have a religious empire. Hamas doesn't care two hoots about free Palestine. It's not in their charter. They have no recognizable borders. They want to impose Islam on the world and for sure on the entire Middle East, which is where Islam started and where Yishmael started.
0: But they do want to Israel, though.
1: Yes, but not because of nationalism, but because of the spread of an ideology. They've never been loyal to local rulers, but to what they call the Ummah, the nation state of Islam. The reason they nowadays have separate countries is because the allies post-World War created them. But it wasn't their idea. And because the ideology is so strong, you can have a movement like ISIS flourish in moments and conquer whole areas of countries in a flash. Because if they command loyalty, it happens immediately like like Afghanistan.
0: So it's a religious battle. It's not a political one.
1: Absolutely. Even to this day. Although ironically, they swapped sides during the Crusades, but we haven't got time to go into that now. The Geras Taiman of the Rambam points out that David Hamelech, in Tehilim Kuvchov 120, describes the difficulties that he has living amongst the descendants of Yishmael, o, Oyoli, woe is to me, because I am Shachantim or Kedar. And Rabchaim Vital adds a vital understanding to that fear of David Hamelech. Yishmael is described in the Torah as pere odom. Unlike the four exiles in the vision of Daniel, which all are a different animal, a different creature, Yishmael is defined as odom. And we find this in, in Tehillim Kuv Chov Lule Hashem shahoyo Lonu b'kum oleinu odom. If Hashem wasn't with us when this odom rose up against me, Then, they would have swallowed us alive when their anger was kindled against us. Remind you of anybody? Now, Pere Odom is normally translated as a wild man. But at that stage, Pere should have been second. Pere should have described the noun of Odom. Here it comes first. And the Maril Diskin explains that Pere is the noun. Pere is what he is untamed but he has odom he has a human form he has a tsuras odom which means that in certain ways he has an element of power that the four malchios don't because he rejects avoid he's monotheistic and that gives him an element of being odom but nevertheless his essence is pera is wild it's unchecked he's unable to contain this human form when it breaks loose it results in absolute destruction, in an orgy of destruction. And in fact, if we desc- to try and describe the, the differences between Edoim and Yishmael, we see that they represent two very different approaches. They are parallel to our Naseh and at Har Sinai. Naseh is Asav Nishma is Yishmael. It means as follows. Edom in the West today is civilized, at least externally. It's full of laws. Everybody is protected by a whole series of laws, but there's no faith. It's a godless society. You know, the USA has a separation between the state and church. France doesn't allow religious symbols, even in schools, even in England, where the king is the head of the Church of England. It's a country where for the first time, less than 50% of the country are Christian. And Esau is action, it's doing. It's the Naseh that creates Esau, paralleling the mitzvah element of Kabbalah Sotera. Yishmael is Nishma. They have a completely non-legal tradition. Any negotiations you have with them, they're based on, on stories, exaggerations, lies. They'll renege on any negotiations, but they have faith. In fact, they talk about God all the time. Allah is part of the conversation in every sentence, and that parallels the Torah part of our Kabbalah Sotera, So you find Esau creates civilization. It builds bridges, as the Gemara Voidazara says, whereas yishmal destroys. yishmal came into, into Yerushalayim in 1948 and basically wantonly destroyed the Jewish quarter there, especially the shuls. They destroyed the, the Matzevis and the harazesim. They destroyed Gaza when they took it over in 2005. It was a fruitful place, which had been irrigated. They could have used it. No, they destroy it. And contrast this with Edom, with Rome. Rome didn't destroy the base of Migdash for 130 years after they occupied Eretz Yisrael. And they only did so after there was a rebellion. And as the Ramban explains, although Yishmael are given Eretz Yisrael, they are given it b'chorbonoi, which doesn't only mean while it is destroyed, but in a destructive
0: mode. You haven't explained why they should ever be given Yisrael. Er
1: okay, so they have a Koach, as we said, Mi yemisumoy They have a Shem's name allied in some way to theirs. Because there are three areas that Yitzhok represents, that Yitzhok stands for, that Yitzhok gave us, and we see them in Yishmal too. There is avoida, the concept of tefillah very much embedded in Yitzhog. There is the concept of Mesirus nefesh He allows himself to be bound on the Arkades. He's going to give up his life for Hashem. And there is the concept of Brismila. All three exist in Yishmael. Prayer, circumcision, and self-sacrifice. In fact, the glorification of religious martyrdom. And that gives him rights. Rav Misha Shapira used to say that there was an elderly man who used to be the Shamus. To Diskin, the Rov of and the Maril wouldn't walk within two meters in front of an Arab who was in the act of prayer, because the Maril said it's like a Jew who is davening shminat esrei. You can't walk in front of them. That's the extent of the power that their prayer has. And it is therefore in these three particular areas that we need to respond, dafka, in these three areas, in our tefillah, in our kedusha, and in our messiris nefesh. Because in each of their areas, as the Rambam puts it, there is something missing. There is a tzad dofi in Yishmael. We know that clearly, for instance, in the midst of bris they do mila without the second part, which is called priya and therefore part of bris is missing. And in all the three areas, it's like that. And therefore we need to respond with shlemus, with a purity, and only then can we
0: achieve what we need to. But why do they have this merit with their prayers when their intent is so negative and so destructive?
1: Okay, so we need to understand, and this is perhaps a difficult thing to understand, that there are zchuyos that are paid off to people and nations in this world, for deeds initiated often by their ancestors, which they themselves hold on to, there is an outcome, even though it's an outcome given to people who are enemies of Klalisral, but because they pray, in their case, to one God, and because they have a faith that there aren't any others, that deed doesn't go unrewarded. It's only therefore when we doven with Kavona, with an absolute emuna, that we overcome them. I'll tell you how far this goes. There is a Gemara in Brochus Vav, that says, Somebody who sees Yishmael in a dream, nishmas. their prayers will be answered. And the Gemara goes on to qualify that. Not just any Arab. Dafka Yishmael Ben Avram. Yishmael symbolizes prayer. Unbelievably. So we need to combat that koyach. That's how we can move forward. And we need in doing so to alter our Tvila, to make it almost unrecognizable, not just to doven, but to feel dovening. To, to feel the words, perhaps one of the few times in our lives that we will be able to make these words real. That is the message from our Baruch Hu. And We don't need to be a Novi to see that. We just need to learn any safer that describes Ishmael. And when I say we, we in this room here are at war. It's not that there's a conflict in Gaza. The ideology of Ishmael is out there in the open. And in the same way, if missiles were aimed at northwest London, how would we react? There's no question how we would react. And therefore, even if we're not sitting in, in a bomb shelter... There is no question about our responsibility and about our achrayas, because we are on the front line in a spiritual sense. And we can do something about it. I mean, the departure point, and this also is something which we're completely unused to seeing. The departure point is as follows. There are 360,000 soldiers who have been called up waiting to go to war. It is within our choir to make sure that every one of them returns safe. It would require tefillah for a nace, but it is possible. It's one heck of a demand, but it lies within the realms of our possibilities, of what Chlal is capable of. We have an iron dome called tefillah. And even though we might well not reach the extent of it, this is the baseline point for viewing what tefillah can do. Every peric of Tehillim is a bullet, a bullet saved or a bullet fired, every one. But every Kavona is a life saved, particularly now that we have tefillah ba'achdus. It's a concept which is too lengthy to go into at the moment. But Achtus where Avram dovent when he first came into Eretz Yisrael, is because of that. And the Ramchal explains in, in a Mimer on Tefillah how every one of the Oilomus, every world is affected through Tfillah. There is a Shefa that spreads through all of the worlds and we can cause it to happen. So the first step here is to bring ourselves to understand that we can accomplish things in Tfillah which we never realized. But we need to plead. We need to become a Mispalil, an Eved, during an Avoida. And... Perhaps I will give a few pointers in Shemayna Esrei. Clearly, these are not my ideas, but pointers in Shemayna Esrei, four or five, which are particularly appropriate, where we can have kavanah, I would almost say, quite easily. There's the first Broch of Shemayna Esrei. Towards the end, we talk about HaKadosh Baruch Hu being oizer, umishia umogein, three different ways of describing Hashem. There are four groups of people out there. There are those who are ill who are the result of what's happened. HaKadosh Baruch is There are those that are sick with worry, that are broken by what they've seen. It's a separate category. That's Mashiach. And then there's protection, mogin. The soldiers and the hostages. Who else needs mogin to such a degree? And we are in anguish over them. And then in the next Baruch in the Baruch of Mechaim Neiflim, people who are literally falling apart. Reifei chaylim, the ones who are ill, and matir asurim, release those who are bound. It refers to those hostages, to release them. Never in our lives have we ever said that second broch of Shemayna Esrei and applied it to people in this scenario because we've never lived through these type of times. We've never thought about it, but that's what the words literally means. And because their plight is so terrible, we don't need anything or anyone to make this Tvila come alive for us to be able to put our hearts into these words. Moving on to much later in Schmina I mean there are many, many others, but just a couple of samples. of Shinim. So in our Western way we don't normally die for a shoim to die. But there's a Brocha there, or Sashaba or smug of a Sachnia. Yes, it's true, the Brocha started because of Minus and Koifrim. But those that cause Hashem's name to be diminished should be wiped out. And we say it. On, it's one of the bruches of Esrei Esri. We say it every day. Obviously, Shema needs no comment. But then we get to Ritzei. Firstly, Ritzei Hashem Ba'amucho Yisrael. HaKadosh Baruch want your people. Your people. Atu V'chartonu, you chose us. And if that's the case, we can say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Ritzei, want us. You chose us. And then, according to the reading of the Torah, there is a line, V'ishe Yisrael U'sfilosom. Those are the Ishe Yisrael, the Corbonus that we have brought up. On the Mizbeach of Klal Yisrael, who have been killed al-Kiddush Hashem because they were Jews. Ishei Yisrael, the fire offerings of our nation, Usvilosom, and the last prayers as they were being murdered. Avos Kabel Baratzein. We can demand this. T'file really, isn't just a shopping list. It's a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Avram Avinu is told that Stoim is about to be wiped out. And he says to HaKadosh Baruch how can you possibly do this? Khalilo le chome asayis kedov hazer. Hashifet kol ort le yalsa mishpot. It's a demand when Rochel hears what's happening with her children being sent in in uh, into exile, may anol hinachem. She says to correspond you can't do this. We need to plead with a kedush baruch. But the words are alive. And then in the final bracha when we say rachamim vechayim veshalem. Rachamim mercy, we need there to be life and shalom. And those are enough reasons for our Shemayna Esrei to look very different to what it normally looks like. You know, I had an exchange with somebody on WhatsApp who finished off the chat by saying to me, let's hope they don't invade from the north because that would be a disaster. So I responded by saying, yes, let's pray. So he's not necessarily that's uh, religious he said well you know i'll probably be doing other things so i said to him that's great but israel has only survived the last 80 years on miracles and therefore whatever else you're going to be doing you need to pray
0: wow wow so you mentioned three areas altogether, and you've just explained to tefillah very deeply Uh, what was the second area
1: okay so the second area the origins of which are in the bris of yishmael is the concept of Kedusha. It's a little bit more abstract, creating Kedusha. As the Nesiva Shalom explains, it doesn't just mean to be Neuheg Kedusha, to act with Kedusha like yishmal but to be Kodesh. HaKodesh Baruch Hu tells us, Kedoshim tiu, you should be Kodesh. Why? Ki Kodesh Ani, because I am Kodesh. How does that work? We can't be Hashem. So what does it mean, be Kodesh, because Hashem is? Kedusha is something you do by not doing, by letting HaKodesh Baruch Hu run the show, by stepping back, by withholding and revealing Ki Kodesh Ani, HaKodesh Baruch Hu's essence, that which is transcendent. In terms of Yitzhak and Ishmael, Rashi tells us in Parashas Lech Lecha that the reward for Bris is Eretz Yisrael. And the Maral in the Siva explains as follows. The land of Eretz Yisrael is greater than any other physical land, because the physical is altered through mitzvahs of the land, mitzvahs atuyis baoritz, to make the very physical land spiritual, kodesh, transcendent. So too, Yisrael is greater than any other nation, because the physical body. Is altered through the mitzvah of brismila that is done to the body to make the body Kodesh transcendent. And in the Torah, we find a very interesting term used to describe the negative of Eretz Yisrael, ervas orets. Erva is normally a term found, frequently found, describing forbidden relationships because Eretz Yisrael is a place that requires Kedusha for a person to have entry into it. But because Yishmael and his descendants practice a form of bris milah, there is an element of Eretz Israel that is handed over to them. And they are able to use this to rule unless we are able to overcome it, to counter it. So how do we protect ourselves? Well, for men, the most obvious area in Kadusha is directly related to bris itself. Hence, the Rambam puts Isure Bia in the section that he calls kedusha. There are only two areas of mitzvahs in that whole section of kedusha. However, equally, the most immediate area in which we would almost automatically use the word Kedusha to describe it is Shabbos. We just leaned last week via Kadesh That's what Akkadush Baruchu did to this day to Shabbos. Obviously, both for men and for women. Which means what we do on Shabbos, what we say on Shabbos, what we read on Shabbos, the area where we are creating Kedusha to counter the quasi Kedusha but real, created by Ishmael. At some stage, at some part of the 25 hours of Shabbos, the goal should be to create Kedusha, to add, but to be aware that this is the goal. And in both cases, in Shabbos and B'ris, then we have the word shmirah, shmir Shabbos, shmirah Sabris. And those areas of Kedusha Shabbos and Kedusha Habris connect to Kedushas HaOretz. That they form actually what is called olam Shona Nefesh, the three spheres of interaction, which means that in time we have the concept of Shabbos, in Nefesh we have Brismila, and in space we have Eretz Yisrael. There's a relationship between these three. And of course, Eretz Yisrael itself is called Shabbos in the Torah with regards to Shemitah, or it's Shabbos Lashem, which means that these areas of Kedusha link to Eretz Yisrael. Now, There is the third element, masiras nefesh, which sounds like the most remote, giving up your life, but it actually has very practical applications. It's a whole approach in its own right. And, in fact, we are going to do a talk on that, just on the concept of of masiras nefesh. Perhaps to sum up, I mean, in, in a history talk, we don't normally have to, but this is a different type of podcast. We don't know what is going to happen. We don't know the outcome. We also don't know why this has happened. We're still beyond anything else, still overwhelmed a week later. But we do know that this is a world that has been turned on its head, mostly in negative ways, but some in positive ways. And we know we have an a responsibility and an opportunity and in yet we will be able to do things to neutralize yishmoel as a result of yisrael. Now finally for people who are in the direct line of danger, I'm not normally a fan of additional tfillas to say, because as we've just seen, there is enough in the Shemeneh Esrei to say we don't need additional things. But this is something that I have been taught. For people actually living in this type of Sakana, there is a tfillah which has very, very strong roots, the Rekeach. One of the early Roshonim lived in, in Germany, in Worms, at the end of the 12th century. He writes about saying, Lamnatzer, Binginus Mismoshir, Tehilim Samach 67. And the Marshal who lived in Poland in the 1500s, and he was not somebody who was into Kabbalah, in fact, he was strongly into Halacha at the expense of Kabbalah, he talks openly about this, and of course, all the Kabbalim that follow from that time, saying this chapter of tehilim. So, Svardim and Nusach Svard often say it before Baruch Shammah in Shachris, and Svardim say it again at Mincha. And the reason is because it parallels the menorah, the avoider of the menorah in the Beis which took place in the morning and towards the end of the day. But this is something, a Shmira to be said when people are in danger, to be said in a particular form. Most listeners will have seen Sidurim, which have this Peruk of Tehilim in the shape of the menorah, either in Shachris or sometimes at Svirus omer. so you have the introductory Posuk at the top, and then you have Psukim, three Psukim on one side of the on three arms of the menorah on the right hand side, and three on the other. And this Peruk of Tehilim should be said from a picture or a Siddur that has this layout of Tehilim. However, most Sidurim that you will find have the Psukim starting from left to right. And actually, the mizmor should be said from right to left. The Rakech and say this clearly. It should be a menorah where the first three Psukim on the right-hand arms of the menorah and the next are the left-hand side. It's not as easy to find. We will post one on our website for people to be able to download. It's a Shmira at a time of Sakona for people in Eretz Israel. The Kliokor says in Shmois, that when the gollus got much darker, or may oz Bosi el pari, as Moshe Rabbeinu says, heira la got worse. That's when Hashem said, "Now, now you will see the Gola Our gollus got a look darker. May it be that we create tefillas and kedusha to be able to bring a change to this gollus.
0: Wow, and just a thought I had while you were speaking, I'm just thinking of the hundreds of tours you've taken to Poland and how, I'm assuming, many times you've, you know, tried describing or explaining the Nazi atrocities, and for the first time people will actually have some context as to, obviously not in scale of numbers, but just in the scale of the, you know, barbaric behaviour that we saw then and what we're seeing today.
1: Yes, although what I would say is people should be aware that there was barbarity, but their thoughts should be putting it in a spiritual context of gollus of the response of tefillah and Kedusha, rather than on despair on yish or of anger per Patriot. se that yeah. that's not where we should be responding or how we should be responding
0: thank you very much rabbi hirsch that was uh definitely off our regularly beaten track of history But I guess just as you've explained in countless episodes how Jews have reacted to many of our tragic circumstances in the past, it made sense to address the appropriate reaction in this unprecedented tragedy that's ongoing. And thank you for the Chizak on behalf of all our listeners. I mean, I've heard it being said by a few people that this should not be a time when one, you know, reflects solely on the tragic events that occurred, but when you yourself, and I'm speaking for myself as well, obviously, made a positive change in ourselves and become better people, but that's generally quite broad. And we immensely appreciate you giving us a direction of how to do so. Next week will be part two, followed by a mysterious Nefesh talk featuring Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson. May we hear good news soon.